Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. On this episode, we are doubly blessed because we have two fine guests. Uh, we'll be talking with Eddie Hearn, the well-known uh, promoter in the UK and also the United States, the head of Matchroom Boxing. And we will also be chatting with Chris Cyborg, MMA champion and maybe a future boxer. We'll talk a little bit about her hopes to uh, someday cross into women's boxing. Um, and so we will delve into the MMA world a little bit during this uh, show. And, of course, we answer your questions uh, that you send to me at Al Bernstein on Twitter. And uh, let me introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Trip, how are you doing today? I'm great. And I'm so happy that you've got Miss Cyborg on because she has the greatest name in the history of MMA. <laughs> she does. And, of course, one of the greatest women mixed martial artists of all time uh, in the top two or three, that's for sure. And... Uh, uh, it'll be it's uh, we had a fun interview, so it was enjoyable to talk to her and uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say uh, I've had the pleasure of hiring you one time to do an MMA fight at the old Riviera Hotel. And I was shocked you made the transformation and you've done it before, but you were seamless. How is that to do MMA? Yeah, you know, we did it. In fact, I think Phil, uh, who did the color with me? Phil. Um... Baroni, Phil Baroni did the color with me on that. And uh, yeah, I, I, that was about the third time I think I'd done play-by-play -play on mixed martial arts. And I enjoy it. It was fun. I got to do it on the Elite XC um, series on Showtime. And uh, I, yeah, I like doing play-by-play -play on uh, mixed martial arts. I haven't done a ton of it, but it's a lot of fun. And, you know, you, you do it by uh, being the play-by-play -play guy, not trying to to inject too many opinions in it. And uh, uh, you have to make sure you study enough so that you understand the nomenclature of the sport. Um, but I thought it was a lot of fun. And it was also fun uh, this past weekend to see Terrence Crawford back in action. And he uh, was very impressive in beating Kell Brook. Uh, since that time, as people have um, talked about what his future plans might be, He's become embroiled in a little bit of uh, back and forth with uh, his Hall of Fame promoter, Bob Arum, from Top Rank Boxing on uh, his future. And uh, we'll see how that plays itself out. But certainly fans, no matter what happens with Terrence Crawford in terms of promotional agreements, fans are very anxious to see him in against the top welterweights. You know, they want him to fight uh, a Manny Pacquiao or a uh, uh, Sean Porter or Keith Thurman, your Dina Sugas, or of course, certainly uh, the winner of the Spence Crawford fight, uh, Errol Spence and Danny, or, or I'm sorry, Spence and Garcia, uh, Errol Spence and Danny Garcia in their match. So, uh, you know, we're hoping to see that. Uh, however, Terrence Crawford is situated with his promotional uh, situation uh, in the, in, as we move ahead. And it, I, I think you'd have to say this is a glorious time for that weight. I mean, just that weight class yeah, right yeah, the now. The welterweights are long. You know, they are always one of the strongest divisions in boxing. And, and right now, 
uh, all those people I mentioned, plus um, people coming up uh, like Jaron Ennis uh, and other people uh, of that ilk uh, are going to make that division even extra special. <clears throat> And this, uh, we've got some questions coming up, but this comes from Trip Mitchell, your co-host. What would you say is the best weight class during the best period of the 40 years that you've been working in boxing? Oh, probably the light heavyweights in the 80s. Uh, there was a period there. They were great in the 70s, but I started in 1980. In the 1980s, the, the light heavyweight division was spectacular uh, with all kinds of great fighters, Michael Spinks, um, uh, was involved still Matthew Franklin people of that nature uh, great great fighters and I, I thought that division during that period uh, a, a carryover from the 70s was uh, but Dwight Cowie uh, was fantastic there were a number of fighters and so that was a great weight division okay our first question question comes up from Raider fan man okay hypothetical Alvarez Ward who wins yeah, that's an interesting uh, mythical matchup. Um, Canelo Alvarez, of course, uh, in the second part of his career, I think has uh, firmly established himself as, uh, as a dominant and fantastic fighter. Not that he wasn't good in the first part at the lower weight classes, but once he got to 116, 168, uh, he has shown a lot. And, you know, he's a fighter who wins because of uh, he, he's not a huge volume puncher, but he has power and he has a rock uh, hard chin that is he's almost impossible to hurt. And uh, and he's a very skilled fighter. The man he would be facing, Andre Ward, is, in my opinion, along with Joe Calzaghe, uh, the best 168 pounder of all time. And we've talked on this show before about and we talked with Andre about uh, that mythical matchup uh, if he had fought uh, Joe Calzaghe, and they just missed each other by a little bit uh, in the time continuum. So Andre Ward was good at a lot of things, but he was really good at one thing, and that was winning. He found a way to win, and he would uh, morph himself into whatever it took to get that win. He and his trainer, Virgil Hunter, would come up with a game plan that they thought were appropriate. Sometimes he would adjust mid-fight and often would um, fight in different... He was a chameleon. He would fight in different styles. And uh, I saw him win fights by being on the inside, roughing up opponents. Uh, some would say bending the rules a little bit. Uh, and and we saw him box smoothly in other fights. When I did the Super Six tournament uh, that he won, it was almost a different Andre Ward in every single fight, and that was extraordinary. And then, of course, he stayed undefeated and retired as an undefeated fighter. So uh, if I had to make a selection in the Canelo Alvarez-Andre Ward, and apparently I do, I am going to pick Andre Ward as the winner of that fight. I, I think it's... The only 168-pounder that I think has a chance to beat Andre Ward is Joe Calzaghe. That, one's a, that one, to me, is a pick em fight. And when you did the interview with Andre Ward earlier in the year on the show, you guys talked about the Super 6 tournament. It was very unique, and it became a real challenge for everyone involved. Yeah, it did. Uh, and th it was long. Uh, th some fights were canceled. And... Uh, Finally, they, they got to the end of it, uh, and it was a unique and a good idea. It's just that it 
some stalls along the way made it go longer than they probably anticipated. Uh, I think Truman was president when they started, and then he uh, went into the Bush uh, Obama era. Uh, but, uh, it was uh, it was long, but it, but it was it was interesting. And uh, Andre it established Andre Ward as a star. Fantastic, and Dewey. Just to make sure Dewey was not president during no, that he period. Was, he never was. Okay. Uh, from boxing, what ifs? And this is a great question. Will we ever see top fighters fight more than twice a year? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, that's one of the biggest questions in, in boxing. We now see the major fighters only fight twice a year. Some fight once a year. You know, there's Gary Russell, who is kind of the groundhog uh, of boxing. You know, every, every groundhog day is out once a year. Um, <clears throat> and I think uh, it's an issue for the sport. I understand boxers not wanting to fight 10, 12, 13 times a year like they did in the 50s and 60s, or even seven or eight times a year. Or, But we would hope to see them a little bit more than twice a year because it, for the sport, and it, it keeps their franchise, I think, fresh for boxing fans. But, I, you know, getting fights, uh, the, there's only so many platforms that are going to carry fights. These fighters want big fights when they, when they fight. Um, so there aren't as many opportunities to have those kind of big fights every time out for them. And that's why many of them are down to two fights a year. Uh, you know, I don't know that it, I, I appreciate the risks the fighter takes and you don't want them fighting as much as before. But I think if we could get our major fighters up to three times a year, it would, would help the sport. Um, one man who knows about uh, putting on fights and having a number of them, even if they involve uh, different uh, fighters, is Eddie Hearn, who is the, uh, the head of matchroom boxing and is uh, a young man who learned at the feet of his father, Barry Hearn, and he took over the mantle of matchroom boxing. And he has uh, turned that company, quite frankly, into something beyond uh, where it was with his father, crossing the Atlantic, among other things, to do fights in the United States. And uh, we talked to Eddie about his career and some of the fights that he thinks are upcoming. Eddie, it's a delight to have a chance to chat with you. Uh, always great to get to talk with you, except every time I interview you uh, or do anything with you, the only problem is it makes me feel kind of old because, of course, I dealt with your dad so much when he <laughs> was uh, heading the company and, uh, and, and doing all the boxing. So it makes me feel a little bit ancient. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Sometimes it's funny because obviously a lot of his relationships go back with yeah. so many people in boxing. And, and sometimes when I have a problem, you know, where I need to speak to the older guard that I might not get on with, every now and again I call up my dad and say, Dad, couldn't just phone Don King, could you? And just tell him <laughs> to stop, stop being so silly and sign a contract. Do you know what I mean? So unfortunately, those kind of relationships, you know, there's not many left now. Of course, you know, the likes of uh, Jose Suleiman and Gilberto Mendoza, senior, right. you know, uh, have sadly left us. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he's got, he sort of left the sport in, in good stead, you know, in terms of his reputation and his credibility. Yeah. So that helped me a lot because, you know, obviously we continued that with Matchroom. And I think, you know, when he left the kind of legacy he did, obviously he's a Hall of Fame promoter, but his reputation is solid. You know, and his word is solid. And that's that's something that's very important to me and us as a business. And, you know, he sort of paved the way for that that integrity and that kind of credibility to continue. 
you know, your dad has said on a number of occasions something that I find really interesting. You know, he's talked about uh, how you have grown the company and grown what you guys have done in boxing and how proud he is of that. And, you know, not every uh, person will do that when someone takes over, even their son, be magnanimous enough and, and give them that sense of approval. I'm sure that means a lot to you. Yeah, I think, you know, boxing's the kind of sport, you know, in and out of the ring that you can't, you can't play. You know, you can't play the sport of boxing and you can't play the business of boxing. It requires a huge amount of tenacity and, um, you know, time and patience and the ability to ride waves of ups and downs. And I think he probably got to a point in his life and the business had grown so rapidly in so many different areas and across so many different sports where he kind of looked at boxing and said, I don't need this anymore. You know, I don't, I don't want this aggravation. And I sympathize with that because sometimes I have some of those days, you know, but the problem with boxing, as you know, is it's so addictive, so addictive as a yeah. sport, so addictive as a business. And that's good news for us because we know that if we can bring fans in and they experience that they won't leave either. So, you know, I think that, for him, he loves seeing me now. You know, he, he sometimes sees the stresses that I have and I can see him looking at me as if to say, oh, I remember those days and I don't miss them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's always important for me to continue the legacy of the business. Um, and, you know, I've said a lot. Growing up, I was always Barry's son. You know, it didn't matter if I was at some of those shows. I probably met you when I was, you know, 11, 12, yeah, yeah. running around the shows. And it was always Barry's boy. That's Barry's boy. So... For me, you know, while I grew up in a, in a privileged background, the challenge for me was always to make something of myself in my own name. And that's what's kind of driven me to the point. I understand that I have a responsibility to continue the family business and legacy, but selfishly, I want to be my own person and I want to take what he's done and take it to a whole nother level. And that's really the only way that I can be judged as a, as a success. One of the ways you've grown your business is to come to America. Uh, you know, you have uh, reached out and now you promote in America. And I know that was always something you had an eye on. And then finally, the, the stars aligned properly for you to do that. What about promoting in America has either surprised you or confirmed your feelings? What, how have you viewed this experience thus far? I think it's, I found it quite difficult in, in all honesty. I mean, you know, I came in very sort of blase and loud. And that's, you know, not because I was arrogant and thought it would be right. easy, but that's my style. You know, I want, I'm not the guy to come in and undercover, you know, and, and <laughs> sort of keep everything quiet. I want to make You're not an, an introvert. No, but you, you know, love me or hate me, as long as you've got an opinion, it's not a problem. Okay. Yeah. So coming in, you know, I think the biggest challenge for me is understanding not just the position of the sport in America, but understanding in the public in America mm -hmm. and their perception of boxing. Yeah. And the, the, the difficult thing about America, but also the great thing about America is it's really almost like a lot of different countries in one country, you know, good in the point. good old UK, you know, what works in London works yeah. in Manchester good and point. what works in Manchester works in Newcastle. However, what works in California doesn't work yeah. in Chicago and what works in Chicago doesn't work in New York, you mm -hmm. know? So, it's, it's really about understanding, as I said, where boxing sits. Over the last 10 years in the UK, we have built 
a fanatical fan base for boxing and made right. it certainly top three in terms of importance of sports in the UK. In America, where does boxing rank? And, you know, you are blessed to have American football, baseball, basketball, right. hockey, and you're also blessed to have an amazing college system, which all of those also sit above boxing. You know, you also have UFC, you know, which is, has done a tremendous job. So boxing is well down the pecking order. But what boxing will always have is the history, you know, right. and, and, you know, that credibility and that there's nothing like a big fight, you know. And I think, you know, yeah. we've, only, we've only been in the marketplace, you know, obviously COVID sort of wiped six months out of our, our lifespan, but really only been in America for two years. And mm -hmm. I think the zone have done a great job because I feel like their schedules is, is, is competitive, if not better than everybody's. But we went from a standing start. You know, I said in an article right. the other day, DAZN doesn't have the brand recognition yet, obviously, of ESPN or Fox. So we launched this new app and we were disruptive. We had to come in. We had to spend a lot of money. We had to make a splash. You know, Canelo, Anthony Joshua, Triple G, Demetrius Andre, Danny Jacobs, Usyk. You know, all of a sudden, all these stars on the platform. And all of a sudden, the conversation went, who is number one? PBC, Matchroom, or Top Rank? You know, Fox, DAZN, or ESPN? The fact that we were even in those conversations, I was quite secretly chuffed with. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. the, bigger the bigger challenge is how do we grow the sport of boxing? You know, how do we keep the momentum? And the fact is, is that, you know, the more broadcasters, the better. You know, it's amazing with America's system of pay-per-views, which still... You know, Al, I get so much stick in, in England for doing a pay-per-view. It's <laughs> yeah. $25. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And right. they want to they string me up. Right? <laughs> if I came, you know, imagine if I started pricing it at 75, 80 bucks. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. my house would be burned down tomorrow. So yeah, it's right. like, I, I feel that that price point, and, you know, this is a deeper conversation, but that pay-per-view yeah. price point, in my opinion, has to change because you've got great stars like Javonta Davis, you know, fighting Leo Santa Cruz and even the Charlo card, and they're struggling to hit six figures. Right. You know, at a reduced price point, can we increase the audience? And, you know, it's a very fine line because we do know that subscription services and pay-per-view models will always pay more than a traditional, um, you know, broadcaster, maybe with, with, with a bigger audience. So we've got a lot of work to do, but it's been a, an amazing experience just learning about, learning about your country. Yeah. And about your cities and about your people, because I love to understand how fans think, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that two years has given me, you know, we've had events in Boston, Philadelphia, uh, Phoenix, LA, Chicago, Texas, um, upstate New York. We're in, I mean, it's so many different, different areas we've been to, um, you know, and I think we went to Kansas city. I mean, like it's just, you know, and it's just, <laughs> I've loved it. I've really loved it. Yeah. And there's, although everyone's backs against the wall at the moment in the world and right. of course in boxing, I'm really still very motivated because, you know, in terms of my job of a hundred percent where I want to be in American boxing, I'm at about 20%. So I'm nowhere near, you know, I've, I've just scratched the surface and secretly there are still people who, who will say, and maybe quietly right, oh, yeah, he thought he was going to come over here. Hearn's failed. Well, don't ever tell me that because you're banging <laughs> trouble now, you know, and, and yeah. that, that fire burns within. I'm still very passionate about the UK market. Some might say 
we've cracked it there. You know, I don't like to think like that because it becomes dangerous. Right. But certainly in America, you know, the, the knives will be out to say, oh, Hearn couldn't do it. He couldn't do it here. And that really fires me up more than anything. So I'm still very positive. We have, you know, a great commitment from DAZN. You know, again, people say, oh, yeah, does it, you know, the rumors go around. We had a great meeting the other day. We have a really solid three-year plan in America. And that's the kind of, you know, time period I need to really see if, where we can take, take this thing. And I'm very, I'm very positive because I believe we have a great sport and I believe we have a great product. So you remain bullish on the zone at this juncture. Some people feel they're a little bit at the crossroads, but you're, you're feeling very confident about them as a platform now, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we need to understand the zone, especially now with the launch of their global product in December. The zone is a global service. America is one of their markets. Right. You, know, you look at their success in Germany, in Italy, in Spain, particularly in Japan, you know, in Canada. The global platform, which launches in December, will be almost like a one-stop global shop for boxing. It's very, very impressive. Yeah. America is a tough market to crack. Yeah. You know, and they've got a lot of work to do there. But again, we go back to before this pandemic hit, you know, and they're moving you know, towards you know, the, the levels of running a schedule where they had Canelo Kovalev, KSI Logan Paul, uh, Anthony Joshua against Ruiz, you know, all in a, a space of a few weeks. You get to a stage where... There's seven-figure subscribers, and all of a sudden you've got momentum. Bang! The pandemic hits, and they have a platform with no live sport for four months. It's a big depletion. Of course, the Canelo situation was also very interesting, right. because you know they were in a deal that didn't work out for many different reasons. But whilst many will say, "Oh, they've lost Canelo," they've also lost lost a huge amount of cost right. associated right. with that deal in a, in a changing environment and a changing economy. So. But, you know, that they remain committed. The, the money remains to be there. And with the shift in the purses, because, you know, you will know being involved in the, in the business, and partly my fault, as Bob Aram always tells me, the purses <laughs> got out of control. Out of control. You know, we came in now, and I never expect ESPN and Bob to step up to the plate financially like they did. Great news for fighters. Probably bad news for broadcasters, you know. So this pandemic, whilst awful, has just allowed us to reset the market a right. little bit. And what it means right. is we've just got to pay people on the commercial merits. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And not just, oh, we need, you know, we need depth in talent. We need world championship fights. You know, now it's got to be about subscriber numbers, bums on seats, and actually paying the right money for the fights. And, and that's got to be important. I think everybody, whilst we never disagree on anything as promoters, sorry, we never agree on anything <laughs> as promoters, what we do agree on is there needs to be yeah. a change because some fighters were getting paid money that their commercial value did not represent. And, and, and the only way we can build a solid fundamental business and deliver value for money for us, for our broadcasters is to make sure we adjust purses. So people get what they deserve in terms of the value that they bring. Yeah. Uh, the uh, landscape of the heavyweight division is always shifting and, um, now uh, it is at a very interesting inflection point, and you are right at the center of that, of course, with Anthony Joshua, who is fighting uh, Kubrat Pulev on December 12th in an important match that you're promoting. Tyson Fury will be fighting in the interim as well. Uh, the Wilder Fury series looks like it is stalled or currently off, and everyone is looking to a Joshua Fury fight or series. How um, 
optimistic are you now that given both men taking care of business that you can create that rivalry next year? I think it's an absolute must. You know, I think sometimes it's difficult to make fights because there might be one person or, mm. you know, a fighter that doesn't necessarily want it. There is no one from either team that doesn't all acknowledge that that fight, all being well in December, must be next year, uh, next yeah. year and must be two fights. You know, that's the plan, two fights. The only thing, I guess, hanging over, hanging over it other than the fights in December is maybe the pending litigation from Team Wilder right. trying to exercise this rematch clause, of which right. you know we've seen lately. And, and I think they've got to try and do something because I think Deontay Wilder's probably thought, blimey, if I don't get this rematch, I'm out for two years. You know, and I'm not going to get a shot at a world heavyweight title. And, you know, they've moved very slowly across that. And I think they've they've made their mistakes. But it looks like they're trying to, you know, find a way to disrupt uh, Fury's next fight. And, you know, maybe look at uh, some kind of even restraining order, whatever their, their legal route's going to be. But for me, you know, that was a, a good thing because that being out of the way really takes all the sort of boundaries out the way and took, well, the hurdles out the way of making that fight. And I just, I can't see that fight not happening. You know, Joshua is so motivated to make that fight. You know, sometimes you get people on social media saying, oh, Eddie, we all know you won't, don't want that fight. You don't risk it. You don't know me if you think that. I, listen, <laughs> I love a dollar bill, but my God, do I love the glory. And <laughs> winning. You know, yeah. and Anthony is, is a very close friend of mine, someone that we sat down with when he turned professional We've worked so hard to get to this point. But in that first meeting we ever had, the dream was to be the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And, and he's, if he beats Pulev, he's one fight away from that. So it's not about protecting anyone. In fact, it's about gambling. It is a 50-50 fight. I back my yeah. man the whole time in that fight. But regardless of who wins or loses, we have a responsibility. We all do to make sure we make that fight. We have two British world heavyweight champions right? We never really get one. Now yeah, we've got right. two at the same time. And right. they've got a chance to make history. And they both want it. They both believe they win the fight. And, you know, right now, after the experience of the Andy Reese fight at Madison Square Garden, you know, I'm just looking at the Kubrat Pule fight and saying, I don't, you know, almost every interview I give is like, shut up talking about that because we've been here before. <laughs> just focus. And AJ knows that as well. He's training really hard for Pulev. Yeah. Pulev's a, a class fighter. You know, he's a yeah. fantastic amateur. He's the mandatory challenger. One defeat to Klitschko. So it's not like he's just picked someone for a run out in December. He's got to be switched on. But AJ's getting better and better. You know, the Ruiz, the Ruiz defeat, whilst crushing at the time, was, was so good for his career and his development because he learned so much during that period. And I see him in the gym improving every single day. But listen, Tyson Fury's got tremendous momentum as well. His confidence must be yeah. through the roof after that fantastic performance against Deontay Wilder. Will that event be, do you think, potentially the biggest event um, in the history of uh, UK boxing? Or oh, without, I, I mean, yeah. it's hard to make those judgments, but no, it's got to yeah, be way up there. It, it, is, it is. I mean, you know, we live in a world now where, unfortunately, in the UK, and the same goes for the US, is mm -hmm. the government doesn't have, um, you know, a, a, a pot of money that they use right. to bring major events to their country. Other countries do. You know, we saw it with Saudi Arabia. We see right. it in China. So that fight, AJ against uh, Fury, should really happen in the UK. 
but we're going to be under serious pressure with a number of, of site deal offerings, which I will have to take back to the fighter and say, you know, and you could be saying, going to pitch to a fighter saying, you know, there's 40 million to fight in the UK or there's 80 million to do it in the yeah. Middle East. It's a tough conversation to have out. You know, I'll, I'll get the blame one way or the other, but I won't be the one making the decision. So, but in terms of, you know, I really feel like one of those fights at least should be in the UK. It would be really special. Yeah. And, you know, Joshua Klitschko was the biggest fight in British boxing history. And this, this is on another level, another level. I mean, two great heavyweights, two heavyweight world champions, two guys that are so different in personality, in style, you know, and it's just the best be the best. And it's, you know, we talk about all these, the politics of boxing. We talk about all these belts that keep emerging out of nowhere. Here is a chance. No questions anymore. The number one in the division, right? You know, you, you can't argue. There's not one person that won't acknowledge that the winner of that fight is the number one in the world the best heavyweight on the planet, the baddest man on the planet. And I really believe it's going to be our man. And I just can't wait. I'm, I'm, you know, I can feel the hair standing up on my arms, just talking about and thinking about that moment when those two meet. And that's why we're in this sport. We love those kind of moments. Yeah. That's going to be extraordinary uh, on, on really on every level. One of the uh, uh, fights coming up that's intriguing to boxing fans um, uh, features uh, Luke Campbell and, uh, and, uh, Garcia, and it is a uh, Ryan Garcia, and it's it, it really an intriguing matchup because it's one that a lot of questions are going to be answered. You know, people are wondering whether Garcia's on uh, on the level to fight a Luke Campbell. How much does Luke Campbell have left in his career? He's performed well, other than losing to a couple of A level fighters. He's clearly a handful for any uh, lightweight to face. That's an intriguing matchup, isn't it? It's a brilliant fight, and you know, there's going to be a small reschedulement on that fight of a couple of weeks because Luke Campbell got COVID a few days back. He's, he's fine. He now resumes training. But I love the fight because the hype around Ryan Garcia, you know, the Instagram star, as he's called mm -hmm. by other fighters, but I do believe he can really fight. And yes. I think that under the tutelage of, of Eddie Reynoso, who I rate as one of the top trainers in the world, they have chosen to take this fight. You know, they had the chance and he has the profile to take a much easier fight at this stage in his career. But they chose to accept the Luke Campbell fight. I didn't think they would. I remember talking to um, uh, Robert Diaz from Golden Boy and he was like, no, I'm not, you know, I, you know, I have to speak yeah. to them and see if they want to take it. I thought, no way. No way will they take this fight. But Eddie Reynoso is one, very ambitious and two, a wise, a wise cat. And, he says, no, my man knocks Luke Campbell out. And Luke Campbell can really fight. I love the fight because you know, it's one of those where if Ryan Garcia is super special, right. maybe he goes in there and does a job on Luke Campbell. But I believe Luke Campbell is a very special fighter. And it could be a mismatch. Campbell could school him. Do you know what I mean? We just don't know. That's the fascinating right. thing about the fight. But I think it's going to be a very difficult fight. I think Campbell is the superior boxer. I think Ryan Garcia's hand speed and explosiveness is, is tremendous. Uh, just a brilliant lightweight fight in, a, in an unbelievable division. You know, for years, haven't we? We've been looking yes. at the 147-pound division saying, this is the standout division. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, the 135-pound division is yeah. absolutely the red-hot one in boxing now, outside of, of always, you know, yeah. the heavyweight division. And, and that's another great fight for it. Yeah, that's going to be special to watch. You're 
uh, company has made a true investment in women's boxing. And uh, you've just had a, a card this past week, a major card with Katie Taylor, and you have, have put on continually some superb uh, boxes in women's boxing. Uh, what le Katie Taylor, of course, was a big part of it, but you've expanded your role. You know, you have uh, Savannah Marshall and you've really invested in women's boxing. And I think to some degree, it seems like it's starting to pay off for you as a company. Yeah, I mean, we got lucky because Katie Taylor sent me a, a direct message on Twitter and said, look, I'm going to be turning professional. And I remember watching Katie Taylor win Olympic gold in London. And the place was full of Irish, you know, and the Irish are the greatest people in the world. You know I mean? Yeah. Like they have passion beyond passion for their own, you know? And she sent me a message and I thought, you know, I don't do anything in women's boxing. I don't, you know, <laughs> I, I respect Katie Taylor. I've watched her through the amateur. She's a legend, but is there even a market for right. women's boxing? And it was around a time where broadcasters like Sky Sports were starting to invest in women's sport more, but mm -hmm. women's boxing was just not a thing, right. you know? And, I thought I'll have a meeting with Katie out of respect, but you know, and I met this, this girl out and I just thought, wow, you know, yeah. passion and the drive, you know, that she had and her commitment to the sport and her, her willingness and desire to push the boundaries like she did in the amateurs. I mean, don't forget for people that don't know the story, she basically harassed the IOC for them to make women's boxing an Olympic sport. And in the end they went, oh, I'll tell you what we'll do. Come and have a fight in front of us. We'll get a panel, you show us how, how entertaining it is, and we'll consider it. Well, she came, and as soon as they watched her fight, she got women's boxing into the Olympics. I mean, yeah, you know, it, was, it was incredible. And you know, from there, she won the, the, the gold in London, and she wanted to do the same in a professional way. So I took a chance on her, ironically, at the same venue that she just defended her world championship fight, uh, you know, three years ago. And it was, People couldn't believe that I was putting a female fight on the card. It was only a four-rounder. Do you know what I mean? And they were like, oh, my God, what is this? I'm not sure about this. <laughs> now, you rarely see a matchroom card without a female right. event. You know, previously, as you said, we've just had three world championship fights on one card. So we've got a lot of work to do. And the debate reigns on, doesn't it? I had an argument with Heather mm -hmm. Hardy the other day on social media where, you know, I felt like I might as well give up. I can't do any more for women's boxing. And, and all I said was, you know, when we talk about equal pay, which is a conversation we had earlier in this podcast. Right. Quality is not just paying the same because you need to pay a female the same as a male. Equality is about paying an individual in terms of the value that they represent commercially. Right. And Floyd Mayweather, you know, some world champions don't get the same as other world champions in men's boxing. Why? Right. Because every fighter is paid in, in terms of the value that they deliver, in terms of the ratings, in terms of the ticket sales, the digital interest, and so on. So the problem we have at the moment is that, you know, some women feel that if they're in a world championship fight, they should be paid the same as another world championship fight. And they, they've got a point because we're miles behind still. But the moves we've made and the progress we've made for women's boxing is sensational. For me, it's so motivating because firstly, they told me it wouldn't work. And that was, again, you, can't, you just can't say that to me. <laughs> but the, the other thing was that the, I'm seeing the athletes' desires to achieve right. and create legacy and to take risk and to unify 
and to become undisputed. And we live in a world, you know, I might have a, a male fighter who becomes a world champion. It might take me two years to unify, you know, of trying and, and even longer to try and get an undisputed shot. Right. Five, four, five years. Here you have the ability, you know, I've got like Savannah Marshall won the world title a couple of weeks ago. She wants to fight Clarissa Shields next, right? And that's a super fight. Katie Taylor won the world title. She unified it. She unified it. She defended it. She become undisputed. She stepped up a weight division. She won another world title. She, you know, and, and that's, that's how it should be because you get to find out who's the best. And I really feel the dream model in boxing is for the best to fight the best and to find out who the number one in the division is. You can do it in women's boxing, right? Because yep. they're all willing to fight each other. Good and point. as of yet, you know, we know the purses are going up and up and Katie Taylor is ma making a lot more money than a lot more male fighters, sure. right? But we can find out the best of each division. I would love to have an undisputed champion in every weight class. And we've actually got a chance in women's boxing to do that. So I yeah. love it. It's very entertaining. We've still got 30% of the population to convince that it's, you know, it's, it's great to watch. For me, it goes back to, we keep talking about, you know, a women's world championship triple header. It's not a women's world championship. It's just a world championship triple header. Now, we need to take away the men's boxing, women's boxing. It's just boxing. It's just yeah. entertainment. Um, but I'm really motivated by it. And, you know, I'm pushing it really, really hard. We've got a long way to go. But we just, we've got to pat ourselves on the back and say, you know, what we've done is fantastic, but we mustn't stop pushing. And eventually, I believe we will be at a point where, you know, the, the pay levels in the sport are, that do have more yep. parity. Um, but we're, we're really closing that gap. Well, you've contributed uh, so much to uh, the growth of it. There's no question about that. And, uh, um, and it is starting to, to, uh, to go in the right direction for sure. You mentioned Savannah Marshall and uh, Clarissa Shields. What are the chances of that fight being made in the relatively near future? Really good, I think. I mean, there's, I think the two fighters um, who have really hit the jackpot in terms of the purses, and you know, they still deserve more, and we're still mm -hmm. pushing for more, is Katie Taylor and Clarissa Shields. Right. Clarissa's been a little bit inactive. Obviously, a lot of people have. Um, I believe she's due to fight on a Zuffer boxing card, apparently, you know, in an in a undisputed fight against Eva Decoree, 154 pounds. But Clarissa, I love Clarissa. You know, we, we, we fall out now and again because I think Savannah Marshall's <laughs> going to knock her out, actually, right? Yeah. But she, what she's done is fantastic. You know, she's outspoken. She's not everyone's cup of tea, as we say right. over here. But again, goes back to love her or hate her, you've got an opinion on her, you know? She's a great fighter. And that's, that's this kind of, those two can't stand each other, Clarissa and Savannah. Savannah beat Clarissa. In the amateurs yeah, in the world correct. championship, which you know that a lot of people don't stop reminding Clarissa about. Um, <laughs> it's just a brilliant fight, and, and it's a brilliant fight between two elite fighters. And for me to do that in the UK would be really special. And and also I think Clarissa would like to come to travel and defend in the UK as well because she sees the value of that and she won't duck anyone, Clarissa. I mean, that's yeah. know, going back to these fights getting made out, it's fantastic, you know. Uh, Chantelle Cameron, who's our 140-pound WBC world champion, I just said to her, we must unify next. So I made a call to her management team and to Chantelle and said, right, you've got Callie Reese, WBA champion. You've got Mary McGee, IBF champion. 
You've got Christine Lenarda to WBO champion. Which one would you like me to target? Yeah. When anyone's fine. Do you know what I mean? That was it. It's like, so, but is there one that you prefer? No, like whatever one you can get. You know, and that's like, normally you're dealing with an agent and a lawyer and it's like, well, <laughs> right. only this guy and only if it's, you know, and with this and you need this camp and they're just like, let's go. Because you do have to achieve more. There's no question to become recognized. You know, some right. of these fighters are winning world championships after five, six, seven fights, you know? So they haven't been out on the circuit for three years, four years, getting to 24 and 0. Right. So they're willing to take chances, but it's, it's so motivating and it's so refreshing. Yeah. That you can have conversations like that. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm saying by the end of next year, she should be undisputed. You know, in a year of winning, winning a world championship. Where do you ever see that in, in a men's game? You know, and that's what fans have been crying out for for so long. Very interesting. Uh, finally, let me ask you about, this fascinates me about you, uh, and you alluded to it earlier. You know, you are... Uh, you get both, especially in the UK, you get both the praise of, of fans and media for things you've accomplished, and you occasionally get the ire of them for whether it's, uh, as you say, uh, making something pay-per-view or a price point or, or anything. You are so stoic about it, and, and you're so out there saying, hey, you, you, some people are going to like me, some people are not. How did you kind of adopt that attitude and how much does it help you kind of get through the, uh, the ups and downs of all this? I think it's like anything, you know, the more you experience something, the less it affects you. You know, I remember when I did the Audley Harrison fight against David Hay, right. which was disastrous. It was my first fight I was ever involved with. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it was about <laughs> 11 years ago and I took Audley Harrison from, you know, I gave him, I got him two fights and I promised him I'd get him a world title shot next thing. We're at Manchester Arena, 21,000 people against David Hay. And it was awful. You know, he got stopped in three rounds. He didn't throw a punch. And I talked this fight up through the hills, you know. And it all went wrong. And I remember walking out of the arena back to the changing room and some guy sort of said, Hearn, you're useless. You're a terrible promoter. <laughs> you know, and I thought to myself, oh, no, I'm never going to work in boxing again. Like, I don't, you know, and I didn't know how to take it at the time. And then fighters started calling me and saying, yeah, I saw what you did with Audie Harrison. And, you know, and as a show goes wrong or you take some criticism, the more you take, just like anything in life, the more you learn to just, right. you know, brush it off. And um, I, I've just, I think if you, if you really know what you want in life and you really know what you want to achieve, whilst you must always be aware of criticism, and I'm never one to ignore it, you know, or be arrogant about it because the people that criticize me right. are the people who got me here. You know, these are the people that back me. But like anything in life, and particularly in the UK, Al, when you start off and you're the underdog, my God, they love you here. You know, like, yes, Eddie, go and rip up boxing. You're the man to overturn the system. Breath of fresh air, blah, blah, blah. Three years later, you get the exclusive TV contract and effectively the power in the UK. Boo! You're evil. You know that. That's like that's how we work in in the UK. So <laughs> I'm so focused on what I'm trying to achieve, and I know that I'm the same person I was when they were patting me on the back, and I've got the same mindset that I had when they were packing patting me on the back, and I just I'm just focused, and I'm just you know if you like anything, if you can keep the consistency of doing the right mm -hmm. things time and time again, you will get there. But it comes with ups and downs. And I also realized that I'm a target. 
you know, I've, yeah. I've got that position. So anything that goes remotely wrong, you know, is bang, you know, on me, you know, we had a situation recently when uh, Lomachenko against uh, Lopez wasn't picked up by a UK broadcaster. Right. Right. I was getting like, how can you do this? By the way, there's like six UK broadcasters that turned it down, right? Right. Oh, a disgrace. Sky Sports are a disgrace. You know, it's like, well, what about ITV? What about BT? What about Channel 5? What about all these? They've said no. Go and have a go at them. But it's like, I'm the target, you know, and that, <laughs> that obviously comes with a little bit of, a, of success as well. I think the key is, Al, I don't take myself too seriously. Yeah. You know, I, I like to have fun. I realise that, I've had a good run. It can all change very quickly, but I'm comfortable and I'm confident and I, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable in who I am. I'm confident in what we're doing, but I like to have some fun and I like to tell you the truth. So sometimes I get myself in trouble in interviews, particularly over here. I'm just honest, you know, and they might say, well, it's a pay-per-view. No, it's 19 pounds, 99. Hearn, you're a disgrace. And I go, don't buy it. What? What is that? Well, listen, I can only do this show via this method and I'd rather do it than not do it. But you, the customer have a choice as you do every time you walk into a shop, right. you know, to, to purchase this product or not. I believe it's going to deliver value for money. I believe it's going to deliver excitement and happiness for you. But if you don't, no problem. Have a look at the next one. Oh, you're so arrogant. You're, it's like, I'm just telling you the truth, you know? <laughs> so look, the key for me is just, you know, be happy, enjoy yourself. Don't take yourself too seriously. And if you've got a clean heart, if you're doing the right things, then, you know, the rest is in God's hands. Eddie, well put. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and visiting. Uh, it's a good chance to kind of catch up with you about both the past, the, the present, and the future. And uh, the best of luck to you. Cheers, Al. Well, Al, great interview. And uh, I was a little worried about you. If you were getting paid by the word the first 10 minutes in, you were underpaid. He is a, uh, a very... A charming guy and knows the business, and that was a lot of fun. Speaking of people who know the business, how about my bookie? My bookie has been uh, a sponsor of this show, and uh, they do some great things. They've got promotional issues right now, or issues. They've got a promotional opportunities right up now that if you get involved with them, they will bonus you up to $100 if you put $200 down. And that's why I tell people, I always visit my bookie. They've got deposit matches, free bets, and huge cash prizes for you to take advantage of all season long. NFL action, check college ball, check. Plus, they have mobile-friendly website and top-of-the-line customer service, making their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. My bookie offers action on everything from champions, futures in the NFL, live in-game betting, making sure you're covered every step of the way. Congrats if you were one of the ones who cash in on our generous early season odds on the Lakers to win the championship. Good for you. Sign up at MyBookie today, and when you do, use the promo code Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, to claim a halfway match on your deposit. If you put up $200, they'll spot you another 100 to play with. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code Bernstein. That's promo code Bernstein. And we will spell it out one more time. B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N to claim your bonus when you make a deposit. Stacked UFC cards on top of that. Prop bets on all the major sports. A ton awaits you. So sign up today. With Begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. And now another winning pick. 
from Al Bernstein. <laughs> yeah, we have been uh, uh, the folks at my bookie have given me uh, credits to uh, uh, to to play, and uh, we we did one pick last week. It didn't uh, two weeks ago. It didn't work out, but I am confident that uh, this time I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with a winner. Uh, it's gonna be the game between the uh, Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are seven point favorites in this game, uh, and I believe that without Drew Brees, who of course suffered that serious injury and he's going to be out of action, uh, I believe that the uh, the Falcons can cover that spread. Uh, obviously, you know, Jameis Winston and uh, Taysom Hill somehow collectively will probably handle the quarterbacking duties. Um, we'll probably see Winston most of the time, but you probably get a heavy dose of Hill doing his hybrid thing during the course of that game. But I think Matt Ryan uh, and the Falcons uh, are up to covering uh, that spread. And I think the Falcons, while they've been an underachieving team, have shown flashes of excellence. And I think that is going to be what they come out with here in this divisional game. Uh, Well, every week now, this week and next week, leading up to the uh, Errol Spence Danny Garcia fight, I'll be doing a, a feature on that fight, which in fact is brought to you by That Pay-Per-View featuring Errol Spence and Danny Garcia on December 5th, uh, in which you can see these two great fighters battle it out for the welterweight championship. Uh, you can uh, check your local providers uh, on how to order the fight, but it should be an exciting evening of boxing, and they are bringing you this uh, special report. For today's uh, report on the fight, I'm going to talk about the trainers who are involved. You know, in this day and age in boxing, we often have, quote unquote, rent-a-trainers, right? You know, uh, boxers will switch trainers quite a bit. And and oftentimes they're working with someone that hasn't been with them for their whole career. In this time in boxing, there are only a certain amount of fighters that have had somebody with them from the beginning. And these two fighters are an example of that, each though they're a little different. For uh, Danny Garcia, of course, his dad, Angel, who will be a guest on this show and our next uh, show, <clears throat> he is, of course, uh, been with Danny Garcia. Uh, Angel Garcia has been with him since the beginning when he was a youngster. And his dad has forged... Uh, I think the kind of a bond with Danny Garcia, even in their unconventional way, that has really helped him. And he knows his son, he knows what he's capable of, and he knows what buttons to push. And they, as a team, have done a very good job. Now, Errol Spence also has a trainer in Derek James, who's been with him as a pro from the get-go. And is they have a very intuitive and great relationship. Derek James also trains Jermel Charlo, the, the unified 154-pound champion. So he And he has won Trainer of the Year award already once before. So uh, what both these men share is a trainer that really understands them and that when they get into the heat of battle in a major fight, they're going to get the best out of that trainer and he's going to understand what they're capable of and how to get the best from them. And uh, so I think while we're going to be looking at what they do inside the ring, we're going to be looking at the two men on the aprons of the ring also and how they function in this match and their uh, duel of wits, if you will, 
in this matchup and how they how they fare against each other as well. It should be a lot of fun on December 5th. And as we pointed out, um, you can uh, check your local listings and check your local providers and uh, see how you can order uh, that fight. Now, uh, we talked earlier about our second guest on the show, the terrific MMA champion with both UFC and Bellator, uh, Chris Cyborg. She is a woman who uh, now as she heads toward the last part of her mixed martial arts career, still has challenges left in MMA, but is talking quite seriously about expanding and perhaps the women's of world, women of world, uh, women's boxing could be an area she would expand to. And we got a chance to chat with Chris Cyborg. Here it is. Chris, thanks uh, so much for uh, joining me. And uh, I've looked forward to chatting with you. Uh, I don't get to cross over into your sport and interview people like you that often. So this is a real treat. Um, I was so happy to see your last fight uh, against Arlene uh, when you were just so dominant in that fight. Uh, that that was actually one of your uh, one of your most amazing performances. You had to be uh, surprised, maybe even at how easily you were able to dominate her. You know, for this fight, I really work very hard for all my opponents. Uh, but we, for Arlene Blinko, really work a lot of boxing too. But I work a lot of grappling because yeah. I know she's she's two times world champion in the boxing. She have a lot of boxing fights. And then you say, you know, uh, it's MMA, mixed martial arts. Let's find the better way to go if you know in the strike. This is my specialty too. I like to strike. But, you know, I, I always train jiu-jitsu, grappling too. And they say, you know, if it is easy way, going to be grapple with her. I'm going to do. Uh, but, you know, I feel good in the boxing too. You know, I always feel great sure. in the fight. Well, and you submitted her, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's only your second or third submission in uh, in, in MMA. So that you did something a little different, right? Yeah, for me, it's the first time submission in my career. Oh, first? Was okay. never, yeah, first time I was never submitting anybody. But I really always train hard, you know, uh, for submit the girls. But I always have in my heart to like finish and strike and a punch. And I have just this mentally that now you're working, mix my shorts, everything. And I have the first opportunity to submission one. Yeah, that was an amazing performance, that's for sure. You know, you um, and Gina Carano, when you two fought years ago, that was kind of the beginning of women's mixed martial arts taking a step up. Uh, were you kind of aware how historic that fight was um, when you did it? You know, in the beginning for me, when I was thinking about this, my first opportunity to to fight for the title, you know, the first title in my, in my division, 145 pound. And for me, it was, I was, did a couple fights before in America, and the people know a little bit about me, but know a lot. And when I fought Gina Caran, it's like everybody against me, this fight, and everybody now with her. And for me, it was the opportunity, like, they did everything in Brazil for coming back, for looking for more opportunity. And this is, I come for, for this fight, that fight. And for me now, I, I know how big that fight it is now, more than the time I was fighting. You know, uh, yeah, was, now you can look back on it and realize yes. what it meant, right? Yes. Now I, I can think about, no, this is a, me, a lot of rumors we made. You know, I'm very thankful with Scott Coker and Gina Carano and the, for this have this opportunity to fight. Because now I can think about how the biggest 
the biggest fight that day. But at that time, I was just looking for the opportunity to win. But now I know how huge this for women's MMA. Yeah, it made a, it made a big difference, that's for sure, in, in uh, women's uh, mixed martial arts. You, are, uh, you enjoy boxing, and I know you're a big boxing fan. Um, who are some of the women and men in boxing that you admire that you like to watch? Uh, you know, I like I like to watch uh, Leila Lee before I, I looking for it. I think she do great things, not just in the ring, and I follow her dad too. But to what she do outside too, and Clarissa Shields, I look for a lot of fights. I heard I went with her some fights, and for the guys, you know, I really fan the Pacquiao because he's not just an amazing guy in the ring, but he's amazing guys in his country, help the people and help each you know this is big heart and if it is this this people i like to follow and watch and then Virgil Ortiz too Virgil Ortiz is i trained for Virgil sir and his son's amazing too he's he's going to be the next star is already doing great and i'm looking for for him too great and you you sparred with Clarissa didn't you guys spar together yes she's just fought at the time i call her and she said, ah, oh, Chris, I can go. And then she show up here and then we train a little bit. We did some sparring together. And it's very nice because I have some girls too. Uh, she's then, then tried for big two Olympics boxing. And sometimes when I have a fight, we call each other and we do some sparring together. And for me, it's a sparring only boxing. For me, it's like normal in my camps because I really feel like I learn more when they spar sparring girls doing boxing. Not just girls, but guys too. But for me, I know it's a different sport because this I like to do sometimes only boxing, sometimes only BJJ or wrestling because I feel like I can grow, grow more in my game. Interesting. Now, you have talked once in a while, you and I have communicated in the past about how you've thought about uh, at some point in your life having a boxing match. You know, uh, is that still something at this point in your career that you think about? For sure. I, I have a dream. I have a dream to do one boxing fight. Maybe I can do one more than one. But for me, you know, in my career, I always compete in all the, it's, I do mixed martial arts, but every martial arts, I do separate. Like BJJ, I compete by herself. Wrestling, I did. Muay Thai, I did. And for me, boxing, the only one I didn't try yet by herself. And I really, uh, after, after, I think it's going to be two years, one year and a half, I'm boxing, training a lot of boxing and more and more for me upgrade and learn more and for you can have this opportunity for be prepared you know i i want to be i do if i go to this i want to be great well you i'll tell you watching that sparring session and of course watching you in in mixed martial arts you're such a good striker um i i i would have to think you you could make the transition into into boxing uh, much quicker and with more um with a lot of success more than maybe somebody else that, the, in the sport? You know, because when you do mixed martial arts, you have to train everything, okay? The time right. I was sparring Clarissa, I was training grappling, I was training wrestling, jiu-jitsu, like everything together. If I get it one time, just focusing on boxing, training morning, night, end of the day, only box six hours a day, for sure, you know, my, my game is going to upgrade more in the boxing, and it's going to be great, and... I, I believe, I believe it can do great. You know, when I did this sparring with Clarissa Shields, you know, she's really fast and she's really good. And, you know, I learned a lot from the sparring day. 
Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Uh, we'll have to see if you can uh, if you can have a chance, an opportunity to do that. Uh, I'm sure boxing fans would like to see you in a, in a boxing match. You're, you're you're well known, of course, to all boxing fans. And uh, have you ever had any discussions, uh, serious discussions about it yet? No, I talked to my manager, Adi, and you know, Scott Coker is open to for letting me do a boxing fight. And for, for sure, this is gonna, they're going to discuss to see what's the better for me. And I, I, I really enjoy, I would like to do, and I'm going to yeah. do my best. And then, then letting me to do it and just see what's the best plan for my career. You have an event coming up that's very special to you, I know. Um, it's going to be November 23rd through the 29th, and it's a virtual 5K run uh, that you're putting on that is designed to benefit um, the uh, missionary work that's being done by Jean Silva uh, from Pride, uh, and they are going to an island that's, uh, um, where they are helping people uh, not only with their their overall needs, but also feeding them, getting them food. Uh, tell us a little bit about this event and uh, how important it is to you, and wh what is it? How can fans be helpful to it? You know, I always like to do help, uh, not bless somebody, but share what you have for people around you and the air there in the world. And for me, Jean Silva, I met him like 10 years, beginning, or 12 years before, beginning my career. He's a, he's a great fighter, fighting pride, cage rage, a lot of events. And then he's starting now, be a long time, he started doing missionary work. And he moved to Portugal, and I went to Portugal with him, and I went to some prison over there, talk about my life, bring some of my belt for them, speech for the kids, you know, and the kids in there, like uh, under the, the uh, 21. And I talked with them, and then John now is moving to one island over there, and then he is talking about gospel and giving the hope for the people, and the people who live in the street who need help, he is help them. Then have one website in the Facebook, like you say, okay, I want on shoes, and somebody donate the shoes, then they trade the things, then change the things, you know, like help. Okay, you don't want the shoes anymore, okay, but uh, you have on shirt I need, then switch stuff over there. He's starting doing this, and then now he's he's cooking every every week for people the homeless living in the street, and he's this is doing very good, and he's telling me, Chris, you know, I need a big big kitchen. And I need to improve because he's doing his house. I have a lot of people in community help with you. And they told him, okay, I would like to help with this project. And now we're doing the race, you know, for, for help with the project. People can sign up to my website and you're going to be virtual run. Or you can run, you can walk, you ride a bike. The, the means important thing to you run for change. Do something, something for change. And it's nice because they're going to do it to the day it's uh, Thanksgiving. And you thank for everything you have, and it just help with the people. And the, uh, people are gonna be running virtual running with me. I was gonna run it as well too. I'm gonna send it to the people one certificate signed with from me. Be thankful for you. Help us. Excellent. And they can go to your website, which we have on there, uh, and they can uh, they can sign up and be a, uh, a part of it and uh, and participate with you to to help. And uh, it'll be it's certainly for a good cause. Yes, people can go to chriscyber.com and sign up and you're going to be, man, it's going to be very nice. You guys are going to love and participate. This is going to feel great after. And for sure, when you start building, I'm going to put picture in my Instagram, picture in my website for you can follow the work and to see how well to work. 
That's terrific. When you think of your future in uh, combat sports, how long do you think of yourself continuing to uh, compete in combat sports? Do you have kind of a timeline in mind? You know, I, I, I never think about to, I think it's very, it's very, very delicate time. But for me, I feel great. You know, I don't feel when I don't have any bad injury. And uh, it makes me think about when I see Anderson Silva this weekend, you know, and his, the last fight he's dead. And it makes me think about it a lot too. But, you know, um, I, never, I don't think yet when I'm going to stop. But for sure, I want to think about having kids after and for sure it's gonna be too late too i'm 35 years old but you know for me i'm very happy where i'm at and and i just want to continue fight more and have more opportunity for defense my title and do the best fights for my fans all right well fans we'll get a chance to see you again and maybe maybe all the boxing fans that are watching this show and see we'll get a chance to see you in a boxing match too that would be exciting Yes, I am excited too. It's going to be another, another challenge for me. I love challenge. All right. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for uh, visiting uh, with me, and I appreciate it, and good luck on your event. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Take care. Chris Cyborg, a, uh, uh, a real force, even when she's talking. You can feel the energy from her, and uh, she is uh, – uh, very, very, she has a great sense of purpose about everything she does. And of course, that includes her charitable work, which we heard about uh, during that interview. And uh, Trip, if I'm not mistaken, we still have a question unanswered. We do from Chai Town G. Uh, <laughs> said, do you think Layla Ali is going to come out of retirement to fight Clarissa Shields? Yeah, Leila Ali, of course, has not fought for 13 years. She's now 41 years of age. She was a terrific fighter, uh, ended her career 24-0. I did her match with Jackie Frazier-Lyde, uh, who uh, was Joe Frazier's daughter, in what was the first women's <clears throat> pay-per-view uh, show ever. And uh, it was an exciting fight and very close. Majority decision win for Leila Ali. Jackie Frazier fought on a little bit and ended her career uh, with a series of, I believe, eight wins. And uh, Leil Ali, of course, continued on to great heights and uh, would end up being un uh, a, a champion and uh, would, uh, would retire undefeated. Clarissa Shields, of course, uh, now uh, at 10-0, a unified champion, She's won titles in three weight divisions, a former gold medalist at the Olympic Games, and uh, someone that many believe is the best pound for pound in women's boxing. And you can make a strong case for that. If not her, then Katie Taylor, but they're kind of a yin and a yang there on the top of the pyramid of uh, women's boxing. And she's a terrific fighter. And... Uh, has sometimes struggled for opponents only because the depth in the uh, around the higher weights of women's boxing, where she has in the uh, late or the high 150s and into the 160s, she's at campaigned at 154, 160, 168. Uh, the depth of those divisions not as much as it is in the lower weight divisions in women's boxing. But having said that. I think it is unlikely that Leila Ali will come out of retirement, even though there have been uh, efforts uh, in this uh, social media world that we live in 
to kind of create enough interest in that fight happening. And uh, so I think I think Leilali is likely to uh, to stay uh, retired. And I think as we heard Eddie Hearn talk about in his interview, we're more likely if we see an important match with uh, um, Clarissa Shields coming soon, it would be against Susanna, uh, Savannah Marshall, who is uh, a fighter from England that had beaten Clarissa Shields in the amateurs. Uh, that would be, a, a, I think, a big uh, money match for both of them uh, and would be, I think, something that uh, fans of women's boxing would want to see. Now, we talked about social media making a boxing match. Well, I think social media is completely um, uh, responsible for the idea that Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. are getting together on November 28th to fight. Uh, social media helped create that fight. Uh, I will be on the announced team to do that. And the man in the corner of uh, Roy Jones will be Tom Yankello. And uh, Tripp, we have a a working relationship with Tom's world-class boxing uh, YouTube channel. And he is, um, uh, that channel has on it great videos that uh, are not only instructional uh, for amateur boxers, which they are, but... For the folks that are just boxing fans, watching that uh, that channel is is interesting because each video not only talks about instruction, it talks about different styles of fights, uh, how fighters can combat certain things. And if you're a boxing fan and you're interested in the intricacies and nuances of the sport, that's a that's a site that you want to look at. So take. Uh, uh, take a moment or two of your day to take a look at uh, Tommy Ankello's World Class Boxing Channel, and uh, you'll see uh, some very good stuff. And uh, next week, our next show, we sh- I should say, uh, we're going to be uh, featuring Angel Garcia, the trainer of Danny Garcia, and also um, Sebastian Fandora, uh, who is a very, very good 154-pounder uh a kind of an oddity in that he's six foot five inches tall, but that doesn't really tell you the whole story of Sebastian Fandora. It's not just height that makes him this kind of uh, surprisingly, uh, you know, g- gifted fighter. He's very good, and uh, and he's going to be on the undercard of the Spence Garcia pay per view, and so we're going to chat with him a little bit as well. And uh, so, Trip, we should have a fun show next time. Can't wait. Great time of year for boxing. That's for sure. Well, we're glad that you joined us on this episode, and we will see you next time.